0: Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, tonight, Luke chapter 1. Um, I want to speak from my heart a little bit of how disappointed I am in, in, in this decision just because I was so excited. All of us in kids' ministry here at Rocky Mount Calvary were so excited to make a big deal out of Christmas uh, this year over in the kids' ministry wing of the building, we just had so many plans. We were going to do big decorations. We had special crafts that we ordered, lots of games that we were planning, and, and we wrote Christmas lessons for each week this month that we were so excited to teach the kids and just really celebrate Jesus' birthday every weekend this month. Um, Yet yeah, what's, what's a little ironic is um, the lesson I was planning to teach the kids this weekend, I'm going to teach to you guys I 'm really excited about that, and don't worry uh, it's, it's uh, I, you know I, I was planning to teach ten year olds and i'm not going to teach i 'm not teaching ten year olds, so I have tweaked it a little bit, um, but unfortunately we're not going to play the relay race game that we were going to play with the ten year olds Sorry, yeah, so and I know uh, Leo over there he's really disappointed so um. but I am really excited to share this scripture with you, and I really hope this scripture will encourage you. To get ready for Christmas. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm sure when you hear the expression, get ready for Christmas, what immediately comes to your mind is decorations, lights, presents, uh, you know, maybe even family gatherings and preparing for that. And those are all wonderful things. I love this time of year. I'm really glad that we were able to decorate the building here. Even on the live stream, you can probably see some of the, uh, the lights uh, behind me. Uh, it's a really, it's a magical time. It's a wonderful time this time of year. Um, but Luke chapter 1 is not going to provide instruction on what kind of lights you should put on your house. It's not going to tell you whether you should get a PS5 or an Xbox One for uh, your kids for Christmas this year, Uh, but I think what it will tell you, what what I hope the Scripture will tell you today, is how you can get ready in your heart for Christmas, how your heart can be ready and prepared to celebrate what God did what he began 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, we we give you thanks um, for for making Christmas a reality, for sending your son Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for coming. Um, We thank you for this time of year. We thank you for... um, why you came. And as we talk about that a little bit tonight, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the hearts of your people would be encouraged, they'd be challenged. And I pray for the hearts of everyone listening, both here in the building and on the live stream, that, Lord, that our hearts would be teachable as we look at your word, that we would just uh, receive your word as it was intended to be received. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, the Gospel of Luke, we're going to start in verse 1. And it is good to ask a few questions before you start any book of the Bible, and I'm going to put my Bible nerd glasses on for a second. My, my daughter, when she, when she saw me wear these glasses, she was like, are you trying to look like Pastor Eric? <laughs> I'm not. In fact, these are not real glasses. They're fake. Uh, I just had to dress up somehow. I mean, this is, I'm a kid's pastor, so dressing up is just something I had to do. Uh, but these are my Bible nerd glasses, and I want to I invite you to be a Bible nerd with me for just a minute because we're starting a new book of the Bible, and it's always good to ask a few questions to understand the context, the background, and just to enter in to uh, you know, the, the period that this, this book was written. So the f- first question is, what? What is this? It's, well, it's the Gospel of Luke. What does that mean? It's the account, Luke's account, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But who is this Luke guy? Question number two is who? Who is this guy? We actually don't know a lot about him from the scriptures. We know from Colossians 4 verse 14 that he was a physician, that he was a doctor. Um, he's most certainly the same person who wrote the book of Acts. And one thing that's really cool is uh, you know, if you read from you know, Luke all the way through Luke, through the book of Acts, you know, if you're looking for a, a New Year's resolution, uh, you know, b- about the Bible, I'd encourage you, just read Luke through Acts. Same author, it flows amazingly well, and it's going to give you the whole life of Jesus, and then the birth of the church, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's awesome. And one, one uh, factoid, Bible nerd factoid for you that might surprise you is, who do you think wrote more of the New Testament than, than anybody else? It's actually Luke. You would probably, I, I was surprised when I heard that. You would think Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament. He wrote more books, but just in sheer volume of words and pages, Luke wrote more than Paul. So we have Luke, this guy Luke, to thank for, the, for uh, more of the New Testament than any other writer of the New Testament. I think that's pretty cool. And we're gonna talk about who he is a little bit more in a second, but the last question I really, I think is perhaps the most important is why? Why did he write this gospel? and we're going to see the answer to that in the, in these first few verses so let's begin Luke chapter 1 verse 1 he says inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. You know, I am so glad that Luke did not begin this gospel with, once upon a time, there was a really cool guy named Jesus and and he was born of this, this cool girl named Mary. Once upon a time, when you hear that, you think immediately of fairy tales, of mythology, of legend, but Luke doesn't begin this way. He begins the exact opposite way. Look at some of these things he says in these first three verses. In verse 2, he talks about how he received from eyewitnesses all the details of what happened in the life of Jesus Christ. He wasn't an eyewitness himself, but he received details. And, and, and to give you a little more uh, a clue of who this Luke guy is, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and this is again, the, the, uh, the other book of the Bible that Luke wrote. Acts chapter 16 gives us a little more uh, information on who this Luke guy was. And I'm going to start in verse six, and what I'd like you to pay attention to is the subject as we read uh, verses six through 10. It says, in verse six, "Now when they notice its third person." They had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now notice this, verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, first person, shift, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Luke, we know here that he was part of this narrative. He, he it went from third person to first person. So we, he, we know that he was very closely real, uh, closely contacted with the apostle Paul. And, you know, he was with some of these early pioneers in the church and. And look in verse three, back in Luke chapter one, verse three, it says that he had perfect understanding of all these things. And most other Bible translations translate it that he carefully investigated these things. These these things, and I can imagine. I can. I, I wonder if Luke was. You know, like a reporter, that he, he, he got saved on one of Paul's missionary journeys, and then he followed, he, he joined Paul, and then he, you know, and you kind of, as you read through Luke, you're going to see how it goes in and out of this us-them, us-them thing. You know, he was there, but he's asking questions. He's like, you know, what is this? And then, and as, as, we, as we keep reading on, I, we're going to see how, uh, you know, Luke is going to give us these other characters, these other people. And I imagine Luke, you know, like a reporter who was investigating carefully and as a doctor, you know, I would personally, I don't know about you, but I would want to go to a doctor who pays careful attention to detail, wouldn't you? Would you want to go to a doctor who, who's kind of careless about the details? I don't think so. You want a doctor who, who's gonna, you know, carefully investigate your situation and, and then give you the details on, on, on what is gonna need to uh, happen to be healed And Luke is a guy, um, you know, that that carefully investigated. And finally, in verse 3, he says that I'm giving you an orderly account. My goal here is to write an orderly account. So Luke says he's carefully investigating. He's hanging out with these eyewitnesses who are giving him all the details. And he's putting together an orderly account. Why? Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Here's why Luke wrote the gospel, so that Theophilus and Christians throughout all the centuries can know with certainty that Jesus Christ is real, that Jesus Christ actually was born of a virgin, that he actually did walk on water and feed the 5,000, that he actually did die on a Roman cross and rise again three days later, that you can know with certainty that he is coming back just as he promised, that God's promises are true and trustworthy. The same kind of certainty that we have that George Washington was the first president of the United States. This is history, ladies and gentlemen. I like to tell the kids that this is true truth with a capital T. And what I mean by that, it is true whether you believe it or not. True whether you believe it or not. You know, you don't have to believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. That doesn't change whether it's true or not. It's the same with what we read in the Gospel of Luke. He was a historian. There's an archaeologist from the 19th century, Sir William Ramsey. He was a skeptic, and he didn't believe Luke was a good historian. He believed that uh, some guy fabricated uh, the Book of Acts, you know, like centuries later. But then what he did was he decided to go and visit the people or the places, the times that Luke writes about, as he he experienced these different places that Luke wrote about, he's like, wow, this guy knew what he was talking about. And then towards the end of his life, he became a believer and he's like, no, this this Luke guy, he knows what he's talking about. And I quote him, he says, Luke was a historian of the first rank. This was a a well-respected scholar of the 19th century, Sir William Ramsey, you can look it up. Luke was a historian that can be trusted. And the reason I'm spending so much time on these verses is because I want you guys to be certain that what we read tonight, and what, as we celebrate Christmas, and I don't know where Pastor Eric's going to be, but Luke chapter 2 is, you know, is the birth of Jesus Christ. You can be certain that, it's ha- that it happened, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is certain, that he's coming back. Be certain of that, because I don't know about you guys. I'm 44 years old, and this year, 2020, has been probably the most uncertain year of my life. I can't imagine any other year in my life where I have been more uncertain of what's gonna happen next, uh, what you know, what's around the corner, all of my plans this year have been turned upside down. But Luke wrote this gospel so that we would be certain that what is written here is true and that the, the truth in this, bio, in this book is gonna encourage us and it's gonna remind us that God is good, that God is in control, that God's coming back, that God's promises are true. So I hope that as we read through this and that this Christmas season, you will get ready for Christmas by remembering that this, this, this Bible, this gospel, Christ, this Christmas story is true, that it, it, it's real. It actually happened. Let's look at verse 5. So verse 5, Luke says in, in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias... Of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Luke does not begin his account with Jesus. Did you notice that? He's setting the stage. He's bringing all these other characters in, and notice there's details here. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, he was a real king. He was, this is Herod the Great. We know from history that he was real. Zacharias, a priest, you could trace his lineage back to this guy named Abijah. If you turn back to 1 Chronicles 24, you don't have to go there. But you can see uh, that back then, David, he set up these priests in divisions. And Abijah was one of the, 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 one of the leaders of that division. And this Zacharias guy, he was a priest. You could trace his lineage all the way back. Real people. Elizabeth. She was of the, one of the daughters of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And we find out later on that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. Real people, real places, real events of history. Luke is giving us details so that there's no doubt that it's real and we can be certain of it. So I, I want you to imagine Luke chronicling this Like a good reporter would. You know, what does a good reporter do? A good reporter, and I'm talking about a good reporter who is interested in the truth, not an agenda, but in the truth. A good reporter is going to interview, he's going to ask questions, and what I want to do is I want to read through verses 6 through 25. You know, we don't do that very often where we just read through a big section of scripture, but I want to do that. I want to invite you guys to enter into the narrative, enter into this like you're reading, you know, a report of something that happened, Not as, you know, um, something that is a fairy tale. Not as, you know, oh, this is the Bible. We got to, you know, we got to read it differently. No, read it as it was intended to be written. Luke says, Theophilus, I'm writing you this orderly account so you can be certain of this. Read it like a narrative. So let's let's do that. In verse 6, it says, they were both righteous. Talking about Zach and Lizzie here before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Lizzie was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God and the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zach saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zach, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Lizzie will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zach said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold... You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zach and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house, you know, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, "Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach repro- among the people." This is this is history, and maybe some of you um, aren't familiar with the scriptures. Maybe you, you know, have doubts about you know, some of, the, some of the things were said here. Because we read some things that you don't see every day. An angel appeared to this guy. This guy was mute. But Luke, I want you to notice, he does not give us permission to read the the ordinary things and, and, and say, yeah, I believe those, but then ignore the extraordinary things. It's all one account. He makes no distinction. And, and if you're a skeptic, if you're not sure what you believe about the Bible, I just want to invite you to Read this book as it was intended to be, ri- to be read. This is just an account of what happened. Luke, a historian of the first rank, is interviewing Zach, interviewing Lizzie. I can imagine he interviewed some of these witnesses that saw Zacharias come out of the temple unable to speak, as a good reporter would. So God is on the move. He's doing these, some of these supernatural things. We're going to go back to verse 6 and kind of break this down a little bit. But remember, Luke is setting the stage for what God is about to do um, here in Luke chapter 1. So verse 6, it says that they were both righteous, Lizzie and Zach, they were righteous before God, working in all, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Lizzie was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Zach and Lizzie, they were faithful. Plain and simple, they were walking with the Lord, they loved the Lord and walking in his ways, yet they were without child. Notice there's a connection here, though. I think I can imagine, you know, I'm going to speak to some of you all that can really identify with Zach and Lizzie in this, in just the bitterness of not being able to have a child. They were blameless. They loved the Lord, they were walking with the Lord, And yet God, for his reasons, decided not to give them a child and how painful that must have been for them. And for those of you who experienced this, follow Lizzie and Zach's example. Continue praying to the Lord. Continue trusting in the Lord. Remain faithful to the Lord and just continue to seek him. There's no divine disfavor here. And we're going to see that, you know, God's going to answer their prayer in a little bit. Verse 8, it says that, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that his lot fell to burn, in, in, burn incense when he went in to the temple of the Lord. So as I said earlier, Zacharias' division, per First Chronicles 24, goes back to Abijah. There was 24 of them, and what they would do is they'd rotate uh, in and out of serving and ministering in the temple. And Zach, it turned out, he was selected to be the guy burning incense on this altar, which was right outside the Holy of Holies. This was a high honor. And it was something God instituted all the way back in Exodus chapter 30, verses 7 and 8. You don't have to turn there, but you could check it out. But there God was, gave Moses instruction that the priests were to have incense burning night and day right outside on this altar, right outside the Holy of Holies. And one thing that I want, also want to point out, this is more Bible nerd stuff, is, I'll put my glasses back on, is you might notice that so far there's a lot of Old Testament in here. Tons of Old Testament. You know, the we, we're reading about Uh, the the Jewish folks were reading about how these priests, you know, uh, go back all the way to Abijah, the time of David. We're reading about this altar of incense. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because not only did Luke do his homework in writing, giving us this orderly account, but God is the author who inspired not only the gospel of Luke, but the whole scriptures. This is his story. This is God's story. So it shouldn't surprise us that there is a continuity from Old Testament to New. And Luke is trying to, I think, bridge that gap that some people might see between Old and New by starting this gospel out, not just with Jesus, but in the Old Testament and setting the stage for Jesus. Because the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, it's all pointing toward Jesus. Jesus is coming, the promised Messiah, and it's about to happen. It's about to happen. So, verse 10. Verse 10 says, The whole multitude of the people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. We know this is the angel Gabriel from verse 19. And this angel Gabriel, we see him two other times in the Bible. We see him when he um, announces to Mary, just later on in Luke chapter 1, that she is going to give birth, you know, being a virgin, give birth to the Messiah, to, the, to Jesus Christ. And we also see Gabriel appear in the Old Testament when he shows up. Um, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Daniel has a vision, Daniel's troubled by it, and, and Gabriel comes, ministers to Daniel, and interprets the vision for him. And in Luke verse twelve, or Luke one verse twelve, it says, "When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him." You know, it's interesting. In all three appearances, where Gabriel uh, shows up, poor Gabriel, people are freaked out. People are afraid. You know, this poor guy. Every time he makes an appearance, people fall down on their faces. It says in, um, Gabriel, in Daniel's that he fell on his face when he saw Gabriel. I mean, it's, it's quite a sight. And what's really interesting, I think is you read about angels in the Bible, like Gabriel, and then you have our culture's view of angels, and you, want, and, and, it, and you wonder, well, this is probably where a lot of the fairy tales and mythology comes in, because our culture's view of angels is not what you read in the Bible. And to to demonstrate this, I mean, in fact, I don't exactly know what... Um, Gabriel look like. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but I can guarantee you it's not what our culture thinks Gabriel looked like. And the way I, I can demonstrate to this, this to you is, you don't have to do it now, but you can do it later. Do a Google search for the word angels, and then look at what comes up first under images for what angels look like. And I think that's probably a pretty good representation of what our culture thinks angels are. And you know what you're going to see? The top like four or five images are basically winged Disney princess looking like people and children with wings. I mean, seriously, check it out. I don't think you're going to read in the Bible anywhere you're going to see, you know, snow white with with wings. That's just not what angels look like, okay? And I don't know about you, but if I was was Daniel and an angel Gabriel came to me and the angel Gabriel looked like Cinderella with wings, I don't think I would have fallen on my face in fear. I probably just would have run away screaming, because I, I have four girls, and I have so much Disney princesses in my life. If an angel came to me looking like a Disney princess, I would totally freak out. But not out of fear, just out of, you know, uh, no, not anymore, please. <clears throat> um, anyway, the reason I bring this up, folks, is I think a lot of people come to the scriptures and they see angels, they see mute dudes coming out of a temple, and they think immediately mythology, fairy tales. But Luke doesn't give us that option. He's a historian of the first rank. He did his homework. And I think Luke wants us to trust that that this account is accurate. And, and all you guys that come to RMC regularly, I know you got this, but I'm talking to those who might be invited here, maybe those of you on the live stream that don't regularly check into church. Have you ever just read the scripture as it was intended to be written? written or read the scripture as it was intended to be read? That's what Luke wants us to do. All right, let's look at uh, verse 13. It says, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zach, for your prayer is is heard. Your prayer is heard. And your wife, Lizzie, she's going to bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Ah, oh, what wonderful news. And he says, don't be afraid. He said the same thing to Mary. Don't be afraid. He said the same thing to Daniel. Don't be afraid. I'm here from God to give you a message, to comfort you and to and one you're going to rejoice in. And remember Remember, Zach and Lizzie, they were well past childbearing age. I mean, they were old, and yet they're going to have a baby. This is a miracle. I think that one of the songs we sang talked about how how Jesus is is the God of the impossible. And that's exactly what Gabriel told Mary uh, later on in Luke chapter 1. He says, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that tonight? I know COVID is so hard, but God... You know, he is still on the throne. He's still in control. He still has a good plan. And sometimes it's hard to, know, hard to believe that because we don't get it. But God is still in control, ladies and gentlemen. Know that he is the God of the impossible. He can do the impossible. Just like he did the impossible here for Zach and Lizzie. Let's look at verse 14 through verse 16. It says, and, and you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth and this this young man, he's going to become John the Baptist, who uh, is a famous character of Scripture. Verse fifteen: For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I want to park right here for a, a few minutes. This 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 guy has a mission. God has a particular plan for this boy. He's going to grow up as and as become John the Baptist, and his mission is to turn people's hearts back to God. Turn people's hearts back to God. And, and I think this is the universal, one of the main universal themes of Scripture, from cover to cover. And something I've been doing this year in my devotions, and, you know, I, I just got to say something. I don't really like the word devotions. It just sounds kind of lame. Like if you're, if you're in Starbucks and somebody comes up to you and you're reading your Bible, you're doing your devotions and, and they're just, they just say, hey, what are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm reading my devotions. I think that guy would be like, what's that? But if you said, well, I'm actually, what I'm doing is I'm doing my one-on-one with the king and creator of the whole universe right now. I think that guy would be like, whoa. That that would catch his attention, right? So, I don't know about you guys, but I used to have a job where I had one on ones with uh, with my boss. And he was a good boss, he's a good guy. He might even be listening in right now. Uh, But what he would do is, if he would want to know how I'm doing, I'd talk to him and he'd talk to me. Sometimes he'd bring correction, sometimes he'd bring encouragement. And that's what devotions should be. We're meeting one on one with the Lord. Sometimes he'll bring correction. Sometimes he'll bring encouragement. But reading God's word, he's speaking to us in his word, and we're speaking back to him through prayer. That's what devotions are all about, one-on-ones with the king of the universe. So next time you're reading uh, your Bible at Starbucks and someone asks you what you're doing, just, just, just give that a shot and see what they say. Let me know about it. I actually haven't done it myself. I just came up with this idea just, just yesterday. So... <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, one-on-ones with the king of the universe. But what I've been doing on my one-on-ones is I've been reading through the whole Old Testament. That's something I wanted to do this year, read through all the Old Testament. And I have to be honest, getting through the prophets is pretty challenging. Um, But as I've been reading through the prophets, I've been seeing this theme over and over and over again, a theme of God desiring man to turn back to him. And the whole, the, really, the whole Old Testament is about God creating man, man turning from God, man rebelling against God, living his life his own way, and God pursuing man because God loves man, and especially in the Old Testament, his people, Israel. And what you, when you read through the whole Old Testament, you're going to see that over and over and over again. A people loved by God who reject God. God doesn't give up on them. God keeps pursuing them and seeking them. And I want to read a few verses for you that um, just stuck out to me uh, these last few weeks as I've been reading through the prophets. Just to, just to prove my point that um, God is a God who wants us to turn back to him and the prophets are his messengers to get that message out. Jeremiah 32 verse 33 says... The people have turned their back to me. Though I taught them teaching again and again, they would not listen. The people have turned their backs on God. And God keeps teaching them again and again and again, but they would not listen. Story of the whole Testament. Story of the human race, right? Hosea 13, verse 6. It says, as the people had their pasture, as they had their blessings... That I gave them, they became satisfied, and being satisfied, their hearts grew proud, therefore they forgot me. God just wants his people to, to want to be with him, to love him. He gave them all these good things. But they said, Okay, God, we got our good things, we don't need you anymore. That breaks God's heart. Zechariah 1, verse 3, he says, Thus says the Lord, return to me that I may return to you. Repentance, turn back to God. That's what John the Baptist's mission was, and that's what we see all throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in the prophets. And we also see it in the New Testament. If you guys were here last week, Pastor Eric took us through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and if you turn with me there, I want to read uh, a few verses that we read uh, last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just to show you how throughout the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, God is a God who seeks his people and desires that his people would turn away from their sin and turn to him. 2 Corinthians 6, I'm going to start in verse 16. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. God lives within you, Paul's saying. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and these shall be my people. This is quoted from Ezekiel, another prophet of the Old Testament. This is God's desire. He wants to dwell among his people. He wants to walk among them. He wants us to call God our God and he wants to call us his people. This is, his, this is what he wants, Verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Back in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were looking just like the world, just like the nations around them, but God called them to be set apart, and he calls the church today to be set apart. Verse 18, I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God Almighty wants us to call him father. He wants us to run to him like a father. And then look at verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, promises, again, certainty. God has promised these things. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Repentance. God wants us to turn from our sin, turn to him because he loves us and he wants us to love him. You know, I was uh, trying to think of some illustrations of this, and I just this morning, the perfect illustration happened that I want, I'm excited to share with you. We just got a puppy this summer, Bilbo the Pug, and I've been training him. Uh, he's, he's a pretty good sitter. He's a pretty good, he's, he's learning stay. <clears throat> he's, he's worked on that. He's doing pretty good with that. But come is rough, okay? So I, I'm working on come with him this morning, and... What happened was, you know, I was, I was walking with him, and then, you know, with, with come, you have to get him to stay first, and then I take, what I do is I, I let go of the leash so he can just, you know, choose to do whatever he wants. And uh, sometimes when he's, he's really good, you know, he'll just come right to me because he's excited to see me, and, and I love it when he comes right to me. But this morning, I didn't see this. There was a, there was a piece of trash out there. And, you know, I said, okay, Bilbo, come. And he looked at me, he looked at the trash, beeline to the trash, right? And then he had the trash in his mouth and I was like, and, and, and then he, he knew what I was gonna try and get the trash from him so I, you know, started approaching him and then he ran away from me. Is this exactly what we do when we're chasing after sin, trash, instead of running towards God? And I... You know, when, when I'm training Bilbo in, in come, sometimes I have to you know kind of pull on his leash and say, okay, come, come. But that's not the heart behind it. What I really want is I want him to willingly come to me because he trusts me, he wants nothing better but to be with me, and that's exactly what God wants. He doesn't want to force us to come to him. He invites us, he woos us, he calls out to us, But He doesn't force it. He wants us to come willingly. He wants us to leave the trash behind and run to him. And man, when Bilbo runs to me, I love it. It feels so good. You know, just I love this dog. This dog loves me. We have a lot of fun together. He's brought so much joy to our family during COVID. He's been such a blessing. Um, But that's what repentance is. Turning from our sin, turning from the trash, turning to God, and running straight him because we don't want anything else but God. We want God more than anything else. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says that he, John the Baptist, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, John the Baptist, I, I think you could call him, you know, the last of the Old Testament prophets, you know, because he's the last prophet, you know, that really you know, preaches to the people before Jesus comes, and then when Jesus shows up, he sort of, you know, fades away. You know, in, in John, I think it's chapter 3, you know, he says, uh, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, and that's exactly what happens. Jesus comes on the scene, and we don't hear much from John the Baptist anymore. Um, you know, and, and Jesus, then, he's, he gets center stage. That's the way it should be, because Jesus is what John the Baptist is, is called to point people to. And, he is, and he's described here as going before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and if you're familiar with Elijah, he was that Old Testament prophet that, you know, he's like the, the superhero of prophets. You know, he had that showdown with the um, the priests of Baal, and, you know, the people were watching, like, you know, is God the true God, or these, you know, is, is Baal the true God, and and, you know, it was, it was this showdown. You should read First Kings. That's really, it's really awesome. Uh, but, you know, the same kind of boldness that Elijah had, John the Baptist had. You know, he, he calls people, you brood of vipers, repent for the kingdom of, hand, kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he just, he didn't pull any punches. John the Baptist meant business, just like Elijah did. And it says that he was going to turn the hearts of the, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready... A people prepared for the Lord. At the very beginning, I was talking about how you get ready for Christmas. In John the Baptist, he's called, his mission was to get people ready for Jesus. To get people ready for what God began at that very first Christmas. And no, he didn't. he didn't come to tell people how to decorate their trees or to you know, buy which presents or to prepare with that kind of food. He, he was talking about get ready in your hearts, getting ready in your hearts. This really brings us full circle. And, and what I really want to challenge and encourage you guys with is that you guys would get ready for Christmas and that you get ready for eternity. You know, this is what all the Old Testament is leading up to is John the Baptist coming and then Jesus coming on the scene. God's only son. That he says in John 3.16, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternity. This is just about to happen. If you read the rest of Luke chapter 1, Jesus shows up. Or no, he shows up in chapter 2. Mary is going to get pregnant By the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus shows up in chapter 2. It's what it's all pointing towards. Get ready for what God's going to do. Get ready for my son. Because I love the world. I love you all so much. I'm giving you my son. That if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you turn from your sin and turn to him, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be my people. And I will be your God. So while we might get ready for Christmas with lights, presents—I mean, those are those are all good things. Is your, where's your heart at? Is your heart ready for Jesus? Is your heart ready for eternity? Is your heart turned toward God, or is your heart turned away from God? Those of you guys who are listening, both in the live stream or here—if you—if you don't—if you—if don't, you don't, you're not a Christian, if you have never. In your life, turn toward God and said, God, I want to follow you. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. Make tonight the night where you say, Jesus, I'm going to turn to you. You're going to be my God. I want to be your sheep. I want to be among your people. Or maybe you're a Christian, but your heart isn't really turned towards God. It's turned toward something you know, you know, is sinful. Something you know God is is not pleased with. Come and receive prayer tonight. Come to, come down and just say, I want to turn to the Lord. I want to turn away from this sin. I want to turn to God. I need help doing it, and we'd love to pray with you and to help you have that courage to turn to God tonight. And if if you're walking with the Lord like Zach and like Lizzie, we're walking with the Lord. It says in verse. Six. They were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments. Keep walking with the Lord by his grace. Don't give up. Continue. Keep praying. Keep seeking him. Keep walking with him. Keep your heart so turned toward him. You know, repentance is not a very popular word. That's what John the Baptist came to do, is to get people off of their sin onto the Lord, repenting of their sin and turning to God. And that's, that's what we read about here tonight. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. You know, just come receive prayer, turn from your sin, turn to God. And the first step in doing that really is not wiping yourself clean. It's saying, God, I love you. I'm sorry, God, I was wrong. I see the truth. I want to walk with you. And just like my dog, when he, is, when he does the perfect come, when he runs toward me with his tongue sticking out and I'm super excited to receive him, that's exactly what God wants, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us to run to him, leave that trash behind, run to him, to adore him, to be devoted to him, to delight in him. And there's a, there's a Christmas song that uh, it's one of my favorites. It's, Oh, come, all you faithful. And there's a chorus in there that goes, Oh, come, let us adore him. That's what God wants. He wants us to adore him. He wants us to adore him above all other things. That's what John the Baptist was sent to do. That's what I really want to encourage you guys to do is to adore Jesus this Christmas. Adore Jesus every day. James 4 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him because he wants you to and because he wants to draw near to you. Let's pray. We give you thanks, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this season. Thank you that we can be certain of what Luke said here, um, Lord, that uh, all that Luke wrote, all that your, all, your whole word, Lord, we can be certain that it's true. Certain that you, Lord Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Certain that you, Lord Jesus, came to save sinners. Certain that you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. That's why you came. And Father, your word says that um, you demonstrate your love toward us that while we were yet sinners, you gave your son to die for us. May uh, we just be overwhelmed by your love for us that we cannot merit. It's unmerited, it's why it's called grace. And may your love be what moves us to repentance. And your love would be what moves us to turn from our sin and turn to you. Um, thank you for being such a loving God, for a God who does not give up, a God who, who seeks, a God who pursues, a God who teaches us again and again. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Thank you for your loving kindness. Um, And again, thank you for Christmas that we can remember you, Lord Jesus, uh, that you came for us. Amen.